All right, good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody today, and um, I hope you had a great week. Uh, we're excited to uh, be here together today. As was announced, we have uh, several baptisms today. And even um, those who are getting baptized today, there are um, several more who couldn't be baptized today, um, who even this past week were making decisions and want to get baptized um, in forthcoming uh, baptism. So isn't that exciting and good? Yeah, so God's moving, and we're so very, very, very thankful. So if I haven't met you yet, um, my name is Rollin. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's good to be worshiping with you today. Um, I wanted to say that uh, as we uh, get started, uh, we just finished this past week um, a series which we were doing for National Back to Church Sunday. And yes, again, as we always say, that is a real event. Um, I know people make up holidays all the time um, in our country, but that is one uh, that we celebrate because as the fiscal year uh, continues for us uh, after the summer, we welcome people back amongst their, all their traveling and all of their going here and there and everywhere back to church where we could once again be the people of God together to praise him and do his will together. So um, again, if you were not here last week, we welcome you uh, again this week, and we are so happy that you're here. So um, with that in mind, we're going to jump right into a new series uh, that we're starting today. I'm moving uh, kind of quickly today just because of the fact that I want to make sure that uh, everybody that wants to is able to uh, get to the baptisms to participate in that. And what we're doing is we're having it over at uh, Missio Day, which is one of our partner churches here in the city. They're allowing us to use uh, their baptismal. They have multi-sites throughout the city, um, but they are actually the Wrigleyville branch, okay? So if you show up at one of their other sites, we will not be there. It is specifically the Wrigleyville um, branch where we're having the baptisms. Um, but today, what we're going to do is we're going to start a new series, and it sort of uh, jumps off of the heels of the last message of Back to Church Sunday, where we were talking about the nature and the purpose of the church. And today, we're going to talk about God's intention for the church, where he says that we're to be in it but not of it. In it, but not of it. Meaning in the world, but not of it, right? Uh, whenever people think about uh, their place in this world, they're often wondering, how is it that I'm supposed to love God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength as a Christian, but still be responsible for the temporal affairs that go on around me on a daily basis? How is it that I'm supposed to even use the gifts and the talents that he's given me to glorify him, whether it be in business or it be in politics, all types of academia, um, types of homemaking, and um, all types of industry. How am I supposed to use those things but still be focused on eternal purposes? And so there is a delicate balance and a dance, if you would, that we're constantly walking with with God. And so what we're going to do is actually reflect in the Scripture over the next several weeks um, on a particular example that we have in Scripture. It's from the Old Testament, and it's um, regarding the life of a man named Daniel. Many of you are familiar familiar with him. And so we're going to be utilizing the book of Daniel as an answer to the question, how are we to live in the world but not be of it? How are we to actually be salt and light in the world, but not actually be consumed by it? And so um, let's start today with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the word of God today. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness towards us. God, we thank you that uh, you sent your son, Jesus, to live the perfect life that each of us should have lived, to die the sacrificial death that each of us should have died on the cross, and three days later, because of his innocence, rise from the dead so that we could have not only forgiveness of sins, but eternal life through him. 
And God, we're asking today that um, as we are continuing to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, God, we're asking you that you would help us through your word to know how to live as a part of this world but not be of it, to glorify you and to really maximize all that you've entrusted to us as we honor you and walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to start with a couple um, scriptures today, um, and they're not going to be on the screen, but they're going to set up for us the mentality of what Jesus said. The last series was actually called, What Would Jesus Say? And so going off of that theme, we're going to just say some of the things that Jesus said in regards to his church. When he was talking about the church in Matthew 5, he actually said, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." Whenever Jesus was speaking about the kingdom of God in Matthew chapter 13, he actually talked about the kingdom of God, which was to be brought to the earth by the people of God, empowered by the spirit of God in this way. He talked about many parables to describe the kingdom, but in one of them in particular, or rather two of them in particular, he described it this way. He was talking about the mustard seed and the leaven. In Matthew 13, verse 31, he said, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the other garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nest in its branches. He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and put, I'm sorry, and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened, meaning that it worked itself through the whole batch of dough. And so what you see over and over again is that Jesus is saying that his church and his kingdom are to be people who are fully engaged, fully involved, fully immersed in the culture around them. Many times whenever people think of spiritual things or kingdom things, they think of a people who are waiting to get away from the world that they live in, get away from the world in which they find themselves, or to be separate to the point that they have no real interaction with it, no real impact on it. Depending on what part of the country or where in the world you grew up, you might have had this as a theology preached to you. It's almost like, hold on, Christian. Christian, hold on. You know, it's like, you're like trying to stand in the midst of a world that doesn't know him or doesn't honor him. But that's actually not what Jesus said. Whenever Jesus was talking about the way that the church should live in the community around them, he said that you're to be immersed in it. You're to actually be a people who are fully involved in it, that the people that you're surrounded by on a daily basis are your people of, um, to whom you're supposed to be serving. They are the people that you're supposed to be talking to. They are the people that you're supposed to be ministering to. They are the people that you are supposed to be walking alongside to actually cultivate the earth as God intended it and not just as man intended it. Now, whenever we think about 
that. We can look to the um, like gospel, but we could also look to the Old Testament example of Daniel. Now, whenever we see Daniel, we see that Daniel was a young Hebrew boy in the midst of a culture that was far from God at the time. He was an Israelite, and um, though the Israelites were at, the, in their, at their inception given the word of God to govern them and to talk them through how to serve God in their everyday example and their everyday experience, over the generations, the people of God had gone astray. They had gone astray and forgotten God's commands. They'd gone astray and got forgotten God's word. And because of that, God said, I cannot continue to promote that which you're doing, which resists me. And so in my love, I'm going to have to discipline. And there was judgment that was worked out in the midst of the Israelites during the time of Daniel. And through a series of events, they were sent in exile to a place called Babylon. They were sent in exile to a place called Babylon where they were separated from their place of worship. They were separated from the place that they could call home and that they could actually freely worship God without any type of persecution or worship God without any type of resistance from the culture around them. But because God was saying, I set you up to be an example to the nations, that even as we were talking about last week, my intention was to always reconcile lost humanity to myself. And I was going to start it through the example of my people, Israel. He said, when you forsook that responsibility, I had to act. I had to discipline. And I had to send you to a place where there was a distinction made between my pleasure and that which was not my pleasure. And so in exile, they found themselves in Babylon trying to figure out how to actually come back to God, how to actually find worship of God in a place that was foreign to them and where they didn't, number one, put God and his commands and his ways first. And that's very similar to what you find in the church world today, right? You find people who are taken out of darkness and brought into the light of life. You see people talk, brought out of the, from the power of Satan um, to the power of God and living a new life as a born-again Christian in the life around them. And yes, I do say born-again Christian because that's not a dirty word, right? Many people actually have caricatures of what a born-again Christian is in our culture, right? They ascribe it to something that's hateful or they ascribe it to something that's um, narrow-minded or narrow-focused. But when we're talking about a born-again Christian, we're talking about one who's been regenerated by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, and one who's been actually liberated to live the life of cultivation in the earth that he intended when he originally designed humanity and brought about his people in the earth. So when you look at the book of Daniel, you see them giving an example of being in a place much like our own and finding out how to live for God and actually um, in a culture that surrounds them that's much unlike his ways. So let's look at Daniel chapter 1 today. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, who was king of Babylon at the time, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank, 
They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So many of you have heard um, this story before, and this is setting up uh, the story of Daniel primarily, um, but also Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who we'll get to later, but many of you remember them surviving the fiery furnace. And if this does not sound like our culture, I don't know what else does, right? You say in the midst of the uh, exile that the Israelites were having because of their sin into uh, the land of Babylon, it said that they were specifically taken to a place, and in the midst of uh, the Babylonians plundering the Israelites, they were selecting for themselves the best of Israel, right? The best of Israel. They were looking for the the smartest, the brightest, right? The most accomplished, the most skilled. They were looking for the people who, you know, had the most potential per se in the world's perspective. Give me the handsome, give me the good looking, give me those who have their wits about them. And we're going to take them and we're going to educate them. We're going to educate them, not in the ways of Israel, but we're going to educate them in our ways, how we do things, how we worship our gods, how we choose to run the world and how we choose to serve um, the uh, God that we uh, are giving ourselves to. And so that's similar to what happens in our even culture today, right? It's in the culture that we live that people are looking in our university system or our college system for the best and the brightest, right? They're looking for those who are somehow ambitious or accomplished. And they're saying, I see these people with gifts and talents, and I want to bring them into a place for three years, they said, but our universities are four years, right? And, now, and for four years, I want to uh, give them all the education of the ways of the Chaldeans, all the ways of the Babylonians. And then after that time, they, after they've learned our ways and almost have been wiped, almost like a reboot, ro- wiped of all the ways of the Israelites, wiped of all the ways of the God of heaven, then they're going to come and stand before the king, and then they're going to serve me in that place. And so the plan of the world system was to actually supplant that which God himself was establishing to be his rulership, his government, his leadership to cultivate the earth around us. God's intention is is that his commands and his ways would govern the people of God. And so that in all areas of industry, whether it be politics, government, whether it be medicine, whether it be homemaking, whether it be academia or whether it be entertainment or, you know, sports, God's ways would be fully expressed because as God's glorified, the earth flourishes. Flourishes, right? Isn't that the truth? As God's ways are glorified, the earth and everything around it and the people in it flourish. But what we see is in the midst of this exile, they were trying to re-educate, reprogram, and then say, you're going to be not only in our kingdom, but you're going to be of our kingdom, right? Even though you are intended to be of the kingdom of God, we're coming and we're going to actually wipe you clean and you're going to be of the kingdom of Babylon, you're going to be of the world system that surrounds you and not representing the world, um, the system of God that he impressed upon you. But whenever we see Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and those who would follow him actually trying to live for God in that place, they had this mentality. Though we're in exile, we're going to be in this world, but not of it. We're going to be in this world, but not of it. Though God in his sovereignty has brought us into a place of exile and we deservedly are in a place of exile, we're still going to find a way to worship our God and actually be those who influence the culture around us instead of actually being 
um, assimilated purely into the culture in which we find ourselves. Because we know that God himself wants to redeem the culture we find ourselves in, even in the midst of Babylon, right? God has a heart for the people, even in the midst of exile in which we find ourselves. And his ways are still the best ways, even though we're outside of Israel. Even so, we're outside, we're in Babylon in a place that doesn't acknowledge or recognize him. And so we've got to be in a place that we're in it, in our hearts, but not of it. We've got to find a way that we're actually using the strength and the talents and the intellect and all of the acumen that God gives us for himself, for his glory, that even though we're in exile, we're going to still worship God, the only God, the one true God of heaven and earth in the midst of the culture in which we find ourselves. Is everybody following me? This is what God himself is saying. And this is how Christianity and following Jesus Christ actually becomes relevant to your everyday experience. Has anyone ever felt that your spiritual life and your material life were somehow separate? Or sort of like you had a spiritual walk with God, but it was somehow to be divorced from the everyday nine to five experience. Or if you're working in Chicago, that nine to 12 experience that you have, right? In your everyday life, right? But God's saying, no, there's a merging to, um, of the two. Everything is sacred. Everything is holy. Everything belongs to me. And I want to reconcile all things to myself through my blood. This is actually what we see in the book of Daniel that they had to discover. Now, when we, again, this is all introductory for the series that we're going to do, but we're trying to figure out when we are talking about being in the world, but not of it, being the salt and light, right? And salt, as we've described before, has many properties about it. If Jesus calls us the salt of the earth, that means that by nature, just like salt, we're to be a flavoring agent, and we're to be a preservative, a flavoring agent and a preservative. A flavoring agent, meaning that instead of actually being influenced by the world around you, you yourself are the influencers for the kingdom of God. Instead of, as we tongue-in-cheek say many times, instead of actually being a pundit in the community in which we find ourselves, we're to be a thermostat and not just a thermometer, Right? We're to actually bring the kingdom with us. If we're the light of the world, it's not to be hidden. It's not something that we do in secret, but instead in love and in truth, we serve the community around us with the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ. And when we look and see how we ask ourselves, are we the ones influencing or are we the ones being influenced? Are we the ones influencing or are we the ones being influenced? A lot of times we shy away from the idea of influencing the culture around us and actually giving ourselves to the kingdom mandates to actually be salt and light because we have lost a sensitivity to all the things that Christianity has in fact brought. Jesus and his teachings have in fact brought to the culture in which we find ourselves that many times not only the church but the world in general takes for granted. There are many things that we take for granted today that are a product of Jesus' teaching that did not exist prior to Christ's coming. And there was a man named John Ortberg. How, how many people have heard of Pastor John Ortberg? Okay, He actually is the pastor of uh, Menlo Park Presbyterian Church in uh, uh, California. 
and uh, many of you have maybe read a book um, about him before, but in the midst of the 2012 election, uh, not the past election, but the 2012 election, he actually wrote an article in a piece sort of elaborating on a book that he had written, uh, who, who was this man, talking about who was Jesus and what was his influence on the world. But in his blog, he actually talked about at least six things and six ways that the church influenced by Jesus and transformed by Jesus Christ lived for centuries in the world and not of it. And because of it actually impacted the communities around them so that they could actually be the salt and light that Jesus had talked about. They affected the community around them in regards to children, education, compassion, humility, forgiveness, and humanitarian reform. We're just going to go through a couple of these things that he said, and it was an example of just a few things where the church was in the world and not of it. But when he started his post, he started off with a um, quote from a man named Jaroslav Pelikan. And and this man, Jaroslav Pelikan, he was a historian from Yale, and he said, regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. How many people realize that? Okay. If it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull out of history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, the question is, how much would really be left? What has God done? How has he allowed the church to be in it but not of it? Well, starting with children, he was talking about the fact that in the ancient world, children were routinely left to die of exposure, particularly if they were the wrong gender, and you can guess which one the wrong one was in their minds. They were often sold into slavery. Jesus' treatment of the, and teachings about children led to the forbidding of such practices, as well as orphanages and godparents. A Norwegian scholar named Baki wrote a study of this impact simply titled, When Children Became People, the birth of childhood in early Christianity. So Jesus literally, because of his influence through the church, had brought about the protection of children and the humanity of children, right? Before that time, in a world that did not know or honor God, they were thrown away and they were discarded. It was the whole mentality, though it was not labeled this, the survival of the fittest, right? It was basically an idea given over to only the strong survive. What about an education? He, He went on to say that love of learning led to monasteries, which became the cradle of academic guilds. Universities such as Cambridge, Oxford, and Harvard all began as Jesus inspired efforts to love God with all one's mind. The first legalization of, um, um, I'm sorry, legislation to publicly fund education in the colonies was called the Old Deluder Satan Act, under the notion that God does not want any child ignorant. The ancient world loved education, but tended to reserve it for the elite. The notion that every child bore God's image helped fuel the move for universal literacy. That was the influence of the church and the kingdom of God when God himself was moving in the church to be in it, but not of it. If they didn't care and they were only thinking about the world to come, children were a byproduct, right? Children would have been left to the wayside. If they were only thinking about the world to come, then education and universal education wouldn't have been something as an ambition for the church to promote. But instead, the church was fully engaged and fully involved in the culture around them, bringing the kingdom of God to its place. And so because of that, these things were instituted. 
<clears throat> what about compassion? He said Jesus had a universal concern for those who suffered that transcended the rules of the ancient world. His compassion for the poor and the sick led to institutions for lepers, the beginning of modern-day hospitals. The Council of Nyssa decreed that wherever a cathedral existed, there must be a hospice, a place of caring for the sick and poor. That's why even today, hospitals have names like Good Samaritan, Good Shepherd, or St. Anthony. They were the world's first voluntary charitable institutions. That was the church being in the world, but not of it. What else? In terms of humility, the ancient world, he said, honored many virtues like courage and wisdom, but not humility, much like ours, right? If you have a post, many times it's to erect monuments to themselves, right? People erecting how great they are and not necessarily how great God is. People were generally divided into first class and coach. Rank must be preserved, said Cicero. Plutarch wrote a self-help book that might crack, he said, the bestseller list in our day, how to praise yourself inoffensively. <laughs> That's what Plutarch wrote. That was his ambition. And is that not the goal of Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, right? How to praise myself, but nobody knows it. It's what the world is dealing with today. But through Jesus, humility came in. Jesus' life as a foot-washing servant would eventually lead to the adoption of humility as a widely admired virtue. And forgiveness. Forgiveness is obviously the crux of it all. Jesus dealt with his, even his followers mercifully over and over again. Over and over again. Where back in the day, they would actually look to conquer those who were around them. Humanitarian reforms, Jesus had a way of championing those that were often excluded. And it was downright irritating to those in power. The inclusion of women led to a community to which women flocked in disproportionate numbers. Slaves, up to a third of ancient populations, might wander into a church fellowship and have a slave owner wash their feet rather than beat them. One ancient text instructed bishops to not interrupt worship to greet a wealthy attender, but to sit on the floor to welcome the poor. And the Apostle Paul himself said in the scripture, now there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. All of these things were the evidence of the church being in the world, but not of it finding themselves in a place where they were inundated with the culture that was around them, but found a way to promote Jesus and his activity in the midst of it. Jesus and his kingdom advance it in the midst of it. And that is our charge today, is it not? That's our charge today. These are only examples. There are whole tomes, books written about the influence of how the church was meant to intermingle with and to in fact steer the ship of humanity through the gospel of God and the kingdom of God. And many of you have like only reduced your Christianity just to believing the right things about God. Believing the right things about God. But the call of God is something different. The call of God is what he brings you up into so that you might serve him in the place you find yourself and reflect and bring his kingdom as you do. That's why when we pray, he said, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Not in the way sweet by and by, but on earth as it is in heaven. On earth 
as it is in heaven. And part of the responsibility of the Christian is to educate themselves and find out through God's word and the community of the church how to do that effectively so God is most glorified and people are won over to his purposes through his gospel time after time, generation after generation. This is what it means to be in the world, but not of it. Jesus ended it by saying this way even when he was praying. Let's turn to John 17. John 17, prior to Jesus being crucified, being buried, and being resurrected, he actually was praying for his disciples. And many people call this the high priestly prayer, where Jesus was standing in the gap for his disciples. He was standing in the gap for all of us who would follow him one day. And he said this to the Father. He said, but now I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That's good news, right? That God wants his joy fulfilled in you. That even though you're in the world that does not necessarily honor him or serve him, you might have his joy, and that joy might be complete in you. That there might be joy while you're in the world, but not of it. That that joy would in fact be your strength. That you wouldn't be overcome with the things that surround you and really torture maybe your righteous soul when you see it. But instead, you have a joy and a strength to engage it and address it. And that we actually live not as those who are constantly on the defense, but those who are actually more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. And because we've experienced the love of God, the grace of God, the transforming power of God ourselves, then we go out into the world to give it away too. Freely we receive, Jesus said, now freely give. Freely you've received, enjoy, freely give. Not with a sourpuss face, not with an attitude that's like, I'm coming to attack people. No, you're coming to serve people. You're coming to minister to people. You're coming to extend mercy to people in the same way that God himself extended mercy to you and I. And Jesus was talking about this and he's praying for them. He's saying, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. That needs to be your identity, Christian. So many of you are trying to hold on to the things that your friends do or that you used to do, saying, I'm going to try to have my same rights that I used to when I was an enemy of God, but still call myself a Christian. And that needs to die. That duplicity, that type of entanglement, that syncretism needs to die in you. He said, just as he's not of the world, when he gives you his identity, he says, you're not of the world, even as he's not of it. And so the same way that he's set apart to do good, you need to be set apart to do good. And sin can no longer be your master. Sin can no longer be your friend. The drunkenness, the sexual immorality, the hatred, the lack of forgiveness, all of those things must be repented of. If you're going to be separate from the world, just as he is in the world, but not of it. This was his prayer. He said, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. He said, I'm not trying to get to have them quickly caught up in a rapture, right? We're not trying to jump into there, trying to catch Jesus as he comes. Don't forget me, right? He said, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. 
I want them in the world. But while they're in the world, you keep them from the evil one. You don't allow them to be overcome by the evil one. You don't allow them to reflect what he does and be caught up in the same culture in which they find themselves and only become parrots to it instead of those who define it. He says, be different. They are not of this world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, Father, in the truth. Yes, there is a truth. There is truth. Truth is not a dirty word. In our relativistic culture, we reject the idea of truth. We reject the idea of absolutes. But there are absolutes because there is an absolute king. There is one God and one way to God. And when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me, it was because of who he was and what he did. And he says, sanctify them in the truth. Set them apart. That's what the word sanctify means. Set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. How are you going to be in the world but not of it? You need to be washed over and over again, filled day by day with that word. And it cleanses you. It purifies you. It sets you apart to himself. So in fact, you can begin to think the thoughts of God. And if you think the thoughts of God, having your mind set on what the Holy Spirit desires, you can do the things of God. In great faith. In great faith. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So here's the good news, Christian. Here's the good news person who's going to make a decision for Jesus today. He says, as you come to him, he brings you to himself. But then just as he sent Jesus, he is sending you. That means he's sending you into the entertainment industry. He's sending you into medicine. He's sending you into politics. He's sending you into business. Just as he sent Jesus, he's sending you. Was that not the prayer? That was the prayer. Just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. First I set you apart, then I sanctify you, then I'm sending you. No one is a sideline Christian, according to God. No one is a bench warmer. No one is just a sideline participant. I know everybody's obsessed with their fantasy football leagues, but listen, you're in the game if you're a Christian. You are actually showing up and doing the will of God. This is what he prayed. And he said, and for their sake, I consecrate myself. I set myself apart to you, Father. And ultimately, he was talking about the cross he was going to. For their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. That's where it all begins. It's not where it all, it all begins, but it's also where it all ends. Our righteousness, that's by faith from beginning to end. A right standing with the Father, that's by faith, from beginning to end. So let me tell you something. Some of you said, yes, I believe that. Yes, I want to do that. Yes, I want to live that way. But I don't feel qualified. I know me. I know me. I know the mistakes I've made. I know the mistakes I'm about to make. Some of you are saying that. I know the cycles I'm in. And he says, here's the good news. 
because Christ consecrated, set himself apart on that cross and said, I'm going to take all the sin on myself, all the shame, all the misgivings, all the failures on myself. I'm going to become sin so that I can actually take the wrath of God for you. And I'm going to make an exchange with you. And if you would just repent, just change your mind. That's what repentance is. Just change your mind. Submit to him and go in a different direction. I'm just metaphorically speaking, throwing my hands up in the air and say, you win. God, you're in charge. You're in charge. I repent and I believe the good news. The good news that not only you died for me, but that you were resurrected in power, in power, and that you could make me new, that you can empower me to live differently from this point. Even, let me tell you something, even as a Christian, even if as a Christian you've tried many times before and found yourself wanting, failing, he said, you can come back to me today, today, and be washed, be made new. And he says, and then I'll put you back in the world, but you won't be of it. I'll put you back in the world, but you won't be of it. Because I'll come by my word and I'll cleanse you. Jesus said, you're clean already because of this word that I've spoken to you. I'll cleanse you and then I'll empower you to actually be the people that I've ordained you to be. In the world, but not of it. Jesus was only repeating the lessons that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would find themselves learning in the midst of Babylon. And see, Jesus is the axis of all of human history, is he not? Every person that came before him was looking forward to the Messiah coming for salvation. And all of us today, after his great sacrifice and resurrection, are looking back to what he's done. And also looking forward to his mighty return. That he might make all things new. See, the world's not going to hell in the handbasket if the church is actually the salt and light. Hello? And we actually do the things that he's commanded us to do. So when we talk about Christ, community, and culture incessantly, it's unto this end that we might actually respond to Jesus, be built into a community together, and actually serve him intentionally to be in this world, but not of it, transforming it for his glory. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. All right. So what we're going to do, we are not having um, communion today. We're reordering our supplies. But what we are doing is we're going back into worship. We're going back into worship. And what we ask you to do is, as we go into worship, reflect on where you've been. Very practically, where have you been up to this point? Have you been a person who's heard the word before but not actually allowed it to transform you? Have you been a person who has maybe actually once started in a race with God but gone astray and need to be brought back? Are you a person who literally is saying, I've been in the world, but also of it. But today I need to be washed clean so that I could be in it and not of it. Regardless of where you find yourself today, it's a response time. It's a response time to Jesus, not only to be educated about what he's done, but allow him to do something new in you. Amen. All right. Worship team, let's come up.